0: Welcome back, Long Island. You're listening to DDI and Autism on 103.9 FM. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Romas. Continue my conversation with Benjamin Boudreau and David Geslack, and the subject is exercise, but specifically exercise as it relates to people on the spectrum. You know, where we left off uh, right before the break, we were talking a little bit about, of all things, uh, the value uh, of, of skipping. And there's actually some evidence-based uh, literature to suggest that this can be very helpful uh, to people on the spectrum, and I, I suspect uh, neurotypical individuals as well. You know, I have some thoughts of, uh, around why this might be beneficial, but uh, I'll start with you, David, since you've looked closely at the literature. Uh, what have you found? What What's some of the underlying science behind the value Uh, of skipping uh, um, and teaching uh, children to skip if they don't know how to do it already.
1: Yeah, so I think in regards to literature from when I was in my undergrad and what I read was again, what I had mentioned earlier, a a neurotypical child that could skip is shown better to read. To be quite honest, I didn't go any further into that. It just was one thing that always stuck with me in my undergraduate education, but learning more on the last 15 years about those with autism we know, and parents know, and professionals know, or if you're sitting in an IEP or a 504 plan, they're always talking about midline, crossing midline in the body, and essentially using both hemispheres of the brain, right? As, as many listeners may or may not know, if you do something on with your right hand, you're using the left hemisphere. If you're doing something with your left hand, the right hemisphere. So, I was just more intrigued when I was teaching Joseph that was that that was what I was focused on, is I wanted to teach him some of those fundamental movement skills that could attribute to what the father essentially wanted. His first thing was teach him sports, but if these kids or any kid doesn't have some of those basic motor planning and move, you're going to make sport already a, even a more of a challenge, given even what Ben said, which we know many of those on the spectrum also unfortunately deal with. They're picked last or they're not picked at all. And I have more to say about sport, but yeah, that's the gist of why I think, you know, these fundamental movement patterns are so important. I'm sure you can elaborate on that as well.
0: Well, I think I think you very well may be onto something there. I think You know, as you correctly suggest, there's a possible integration between left and right uh, hemisphere uh, attributes. I'm also wondering, of course, I'm wondering whether or not even beyond uh, some advantages uh, with respect to reading, that there may be other uh, benefits. Uh, you know, when you think about the roles of the two hemisphere, one being much more analytical and the other being more intuitive, uh, whether there's some kind of changes around uh, that as well. And just lastly, it reminds me a little bit of some of the vet benefits people uh Uh, again, by taking thoughts and putting them down on paper, which becomes another modality in which to kind of process thinking. So it absolutely does capture my interest. I want to ask you you now, Benjamin, too, uh, does this resonate with you, this idea of, uh, you know, left brain, right brain integration uh, as someone who who himself has a diagnosis of autism? Does that have any meaning uh, for you? In a way, it does. I notice the weird
1: thing with me is I'm able to use both my hands. Mm-hmm. So, like for instance, I might do uh, everything right-handed, but then anything that's kind of it's kind of strange. Anything mm-hmm. in the bathroom related, like you know, brushing my teeth or brushing my hair, yeah, so I'm yeah.
0: left-handed. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm smiling because I think a lot of us can relate to that. And you know, as a, as a, an aside, I guess one of the exercises that they re- recommend for people as essentially uh, uh, forestalling and potentially being protective against uh, dementia of all things is to deliberately uh, make yourself do something with the opposite hand. You know, if you uh, always, to your example, you know, if you always brush your teeth with your right hand to kind of deliberately uh, use your left, Um, or for instance, if you always like, um, I don't know, just verbal uh kind of exercises and challenges like scrabble to make yourself do a puzzle which would be more visual All designing to kind of integrate the 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 brain and create pathways that you may not have done so uh effectively before so i do think you guys are absolutely onto something and this is of uh you know a a very very real interest and just lastly now this this is i'll give to you david um yeah, as you suggested earlier, the prevalence of people on the spectrum is much greater uh, today, or at least ostensibly greater. Maybe we're just casting a broader reach. But is there any difference in your ability to teach people uh, on the spectrum or show people on the spectrum uh, not only skipping but other kind of exercises than it is uh, people who are neurotypical? So I think the biggest
1: uh, piece of teaching those with autism sport or any truly any new skill of or concept or, or task is the use of evidence-based practices, specifically visual supports. Mm-hmm. Um, to this day, in many schools, not all, but many schools, whether it's it, it specifically in the physical education or the adapted physical education program, they're not using visual supports. Mm-hmm. And because... Yeah. Some don't understand what to do. They haven't had the training and that's, then that's worldwide. I've been to seven different countries educating people. Um, They, we know that that's how they learn in the classroom. Many of the students, right? You know, visual, video models, visual, visual supports, social stories, all these evidence-based practices. But then when you go to physical education or adapted physical education, truly the most unsensory friendly environment in the entire school, and it's typically a blank canvas. And then they say, the teachers may say, oh, it's okay. He's just got autism. Like, no, 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 no. You're not teaching them the way they've learned some for 18 years, and now you, you need to go back to those evidence-based practices. And these, this community can be challenged, and they can do Exercise or sport or various things, but sometimes it's changing the expectations. Now, maybe for the individual, um, how long it will take the parent to give them the right understanding, and or the trainer, or the professional working with
0: them. You know, for a lot of us, some of this terminology is, is a little new, and. We would benefit maybe by a little bit of explanation. So maybe the if you could just spend a moment and tell us the difference between physical education and adaptive education, and maybe some examples of visual supports.
1: Yeah. So physical education would is general physical education, which a neurotypical or most students, and I say most because not all schools are doing it or doing it a few times a week, um, are getting and adapted physical education. And I'm probably not going to say this correctly. If if you ever want to interview someone, Susanna Dillon will give you all the -hmm. the language, Dr. Dillon, but is any student with an IEP or 504 plan would, has to uh, basically be assessed and qualify for adapted physical education. Gotcha. Um, Also to note, given IDEA law, it's physical education is one of the only mandated services for those with special needs. Mm -hmm. And many parents don't know that. And and many districts say they don't even bring it up, but it's a mandate. So parents, if you're listening, it's a mandate that your kids should be getting because of the benefits that go far beyond the health related benefits for any person. Um, The example of visual supports, to put it pretty plain and simple, think of the the, the old saying goes, a picture is worth a thousand words. So a picture of an exercise or, or a video, a video model could be even one step better, right? But a picture can tell that student or that child on a spectrum and show them what to do without the instructor or instructors sometimes flooding their sensory system or flooding their their brain with more verbal commands. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can just point to a picture or show a video and not say a thing. And I've seen kids or individuals get down on the ground and at least attempt that movement. But if they're flooded with more verbal commands, which could cause a lot of and maybe ben could speak to this a lot more challenges cognitively and processing sometimes that's why kids get frustrated they get angry they hit they bite they scratch they pinch because we're over over
0: verbalizing to them well i think it clearly speaks to the importance of that connection that we referenced be- before the well-known connection uh between uh in between mind and and body and you know in fact in fact guys what i, I what i want to do is uh you both back uh, for next week's show because i want to look a little more closely at the research you've been involved with uh, uh benjamin some really fascinating stuff and again to use david's phrase empirically based evidence-based uh data at this point that kind of supports uh, a lot of what we're sharing here uh today so again i'm going to ask you both to come back uh, my guests have been benjamin goudreau and david geslack the subject is exercises relates to autism be sure to join us next week